It's, uh, it's really awesome to be back. Uh, we, we got a chance to take off a couple of weeks and head down to Florida, uh, get some rest and uh, see some of the sights and hang out at the beach and come back. And um, it, we were singing this morning and um, trying to focus on the worship. And uh, my, my kids are funny. My daughter, just she looks at me and she goes, hey, Dad. And we're in the middle of singing the first song. And I said, yeah, what's up? And she goes, do you think you could use your credit card to break into one of the doors? <laughs> like, I, I could. I know, right? I, and I said, what did you want to get into? She goes, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right back to the song. So I'll have to talk to her after and find out what it is she's trying to get into. Uh, this morning, I want to look at the book of John, and we're going to pretty much spend the bulk of the day in chapter 9. Uh, we're not going to jump from verse to verse. We're just going to pretty much look at the chapter and, and take a look at what it says. I love the book of John. It's one of the Gospels, uh, which you probably already know that. Um, it is one of the two eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ and His ministry, Matthew being the other. Um, it's not part of the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels, if you don't know, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's pretty much, they have the same similar stories, same similar ideas. John takes a somewhat different approach in writing his Gospel as he lets Jesus kind of speak for himself to prove who he is, both in his deity with his word and uh, with his actions. And uh, some of the cool things about the book of John, some of the key themes we have, uh, again, he proves his deity through what he says and does. Um, Jesus comes into contact with the Pharisees quite a bit, and most of his teaching in the book comes during this time. Uh, one situation is when he's with the woman caught in adultery, the Pharisees bring her out, and Nicodemus comes and he meets with Jesus at night. Uh, Jesus has another run-in with the Pharisees when he meets the money changers and he's flipping the tables and he's you know, correcting what's going on in the house of worship. Also, he shows up at the feasts. Uh, one feast in particular, the Feast of Tabernacles, he shows up near the end of it during the ceremony of the water where there's ceremonial cleansing and washing. And he stands up and he basically says, hey, come to me if you want water, if you want to be cleansed. Which, to the Pharisees, is just mind-blowing that this man would actually have the audacity to do these things. So, most of the time, he's picking fights, if you will, with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. Uh, another thing that sets John apart is John records seven miracles in his gospel. Uh, Jesus turns the water into wine. He heals the paralytic son. He heals the crippled man. He restores the blind man's sight. He walks on the water, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Those are the seven miracles that John records as an eyewitness account in his gospel. But the one theme, I guess, the one key thing that I want to talk about this morning is the amount of personal evangelism and outreach that Jesus does in the book of John alone. And why that's important is because, obviously, if it's something that's important for Christ to do as the Son of God, being able to reach to people and to evangelize and to basically spread the good news, how much more important should it be for us? So, in uh, his evangelism, he meets with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, we believe, comes to faith and has a total change at the end of the book. He also comes into contact with the woman at the well. And they go through their uh, 
exchange and she comes to believe and she runs off and she tells everybody. And then Jesus runs into this blind man in chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 9. Like I said, we're going to spend the bulk of the time there. And I'm going to pray and then we'll jump right into it. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And this example that we can see in your word of how important it is to be willing to reach out across the street, across the pew, across uh, you know, our, our jobs to this world that we are uh, routinely finding ourselves in. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, remove the distractions, Lord, that you would help me to speak clearly, Lord, that you would just open our ears and hearts to what you have for us as we see in your word just how deep your love for us goes and how powerful and strong you truly are. And we ask these things in your name and we give thanks. Amen. So starting in John chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, And he passed by, and he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes, and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated as sent. So he went away and washed and came back, seeing therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes open? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. So chapter 9 opens with the words, as he passed by, which is significant to the book of John and to this chapter for a couple of reasons. John, um, he, he leaves out a lot of stuff. That's why it's important to be able to read the other Gospels along with it, because some of the chunks that John leaves out, the other Gospels, they kind of pick up where he left off, and it gives you some ideas of what took place. In some chapters, you'll see it starts as some time went by, or some time passed, and then later. But this he says, and as... He passed by, which means whatever happened previously in the previous chapter, which is chapter 8, just happened, and he's leaving that situation. And if you're not familiar with what happens in chapter 8, that's the woman who's caught in adultery. They bring her out, and they want to stone her, and they want to put her to death, and Jesus has that awesome exchange with them about, I am, I am, before I am, I am. And he claims deity. He claims that he's God. And the Pharisees are so upset that by the end of the chapter, they're picking up stones to cast at Jesus, and he just kind of slips away. But as he's leaving, he comes upon this blind man, and he stops. Something in him says, I need to have a little teaching moment. And he has that with his disciples. His disciples, they don't really get it. Their question is, hey, did this guy sin? Was this his parents? Like, what's going on? That's an entire message in and of itself. Jesus says it's not because he sinned. It's so that God can be glorified. Here the disciples are missing something that we miss every day. 
Jesus shows here that there's the outward focus that we need to have is on other individuals. It's on other people. But we live in a society that says you are the most important being. You are the captain of your fate. When I was in, uh, I guess it would have been high school, I was in select choir. And we sang the, uh, I don't know what the name of the song is. It was uh, the poem that the news anchor read shortly after the Oklahoma sitting bombings. And it was, I am the captain of my fate. Out of the night which harbors me, something black as, I don't remember. But the whole message was, I'm in control. I, I, I control my fate. I'm the most important person. And Jesus says, no, that's not really it. It's not really about you. Sometimes we can be too busy or distracted. If you have a busy schedule, raise your hand. We all do. I've got two little ones that want to continually, can we do this? Can we go here? Can we go there? Can we do this? We went on vacation. I was talking with Ed this morning, and he said, it looked like you were really busy down there. We had a lot of fun. We crammed a lot into it when we could. But, the, it, hey, let's go do this. Let's go. Our schedules are busy. We get caught up in, in what do we have next to do. And if you went through some of the Navigator's books, there was actually that chapter on what's necessary, what's important, what do we find ourselves giving up to focus on what might be kind of minor or insignificant. Or we just lack compassion for others. We just don't care. We're cold. We're callous. I'm not going to lie. This is probably the category that I find myself in. As we drove through Pensacola, and even as we drive through here in Middletown and Newburgh and other parts, you come out of the parking lot, there's someone with a sign standing. And sometimes I'm like, I know I have a dollar. Here, you can have my dollar. But there's a lot of times where I am like burning a hole through that red light. Lord, just do green. Just come on. Oh, they saw me. They're coming closer. Green light, got to go. There's, there's a confessed lack of compassion there. And we can look at it and we could say, well, they could get a job. They could do this. They could, hey, we could meet their need. I'm guilty of that. It's a tough situation to be able to, to, to pull yourself into and say, how can I be Jesus to this person? How can I minister? How can I be effective? How can I show that truly what's inside of me is, is this awesome power, these things that we sang about, opening the eyes of the blind and, and how he controls the weather and lightning bolts and knows the depths of our heart and who we are. How can I be that to someone in need? And Jesus shows this to his disciples as he's leaving because the important thing to remember is he's got a group of people that have every right to kill him. And he stops to focus on this blind man. And he stops and he spends time with him. And he, he, he performs this miracle. And it's a simple miracle. If you have the notes and you're filling them in, that first blank, it's a simple miracle. It's not a big deal. He spits in the clay. He rubs it on his eyes. And he says, go wash in the, the, the pool over there and your sight will be restored. You know, and that's how simple salvation is within us. And it's so simple how the power of God works in our lives. Is we just, we take it and we, we take it in. And we got to follow and we got to believe. And when Jesus says, hey, do this. We, ah, you know, I don't really know. I mean, you're really just spitting on some dirt and you're putting it on my eyes. 
I gotta imagine that there's a crowd of people around because there's people looking at this going, this guy can see now, like what's going on? Do you imagine like you're, be, be this person who's sitting in the crowd. And if, if you're like some people I know, you see someone spit, they get real squeamish, right? They spit in the ground. Some people, yeah, right? So just imagine you're standing there and you see this, this guy comes and he spits on the ground and now he's making mud and he's rubbing it on someone's eyes. Some of us are like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I'd probably be the guy sitting in the back going, he just spit in the mud? Like, you got mud spit. It's like spit in your eye. Like, that's, but that's the simplicity of it. It's just simple. See, the power that Jesus has, it doesn't require much. It requires an obedient, willing heart. And this man follows. Let's pick up in, in verse 9. It says, others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and uh, washed and I received sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews then did not believe it of him, that they had been blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received the sight, and questioned them, saying, is this your son, who you say was born blind? And how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, or how... Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, and were born, sorry, they answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and you are teaching us. So they put him out. See, any time you're going to take a stand, any time that you're going to actually act with some conviction, there's going to be a group of people that are going to be there to kind of push back and to beat you down a little bit. 
we're going to come back to that. But we see that his sight's restored in verse 8. He can come back and see. But it's not until the end of this chapter that he actually realizes what took place, who he's met, how it all fits together. And it's not until the end of the chapter that we actually see him coming to, to faith, if you will. The process is progressive. It's a little bit. The first situation, he he comes back with his sight, and everybody says, hey, man, what happened? He's like, I don't know. There was a man. His name is Jesus. He put clay in my eyes, and now I can see. So at first, all he sees Jesus is as a man. And sometimes that's where we get stuck in our own spiritual lives. We just see Jesus as a man. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. He did cool things. You know, he's a good moral teacher. He's a smart guy. He's compassionate. You know, he, that Jesus, he's a good guy. And that's, that's where maybe you're stuck today. Maybe you haven't gotten past seeing Jesus for who he really is. Or maybe you know someone who is stuck here too. That Jesus is just, he's a good moral teacher. He's a good guy. But the blind man, now that he sees, he says there's something more to him. And if, if, when you read through it again, just as to kind of break it down, they bring him before the Pharisees and he tells the Pharisees, hey, he's a prophet, he's a truth teller, there's something about him. There's something a little bit more than being a man. He's got some type of power. He was able to restore my sight. I don't know how he did it. I was blind, I can see, and this is kind of where we're at. And the Pharisees still don't believe it. They bring his parents in and they're like, hey, is this really your son? And here's, here's what gets me, is their, their response is kind of like, hey, you know what, he's an adult, go ask him. He's a grown man, he already told you once, but they're afraid of the religious leaders. They're afraid to step out and say, hey, they saw this, they know who he is, they know that he was blind, they know that he can see, they, are they going to believe their son, are they going to be willing to stand up? It says, no, they were afraid of being put out. That if anybody... Anybody that confirmed or believed that Jesus was who he says he was, they would, they would put him out. Cast out, you're shunned, you're no longer part of the society, you're on your own. That's what they were afraid of. So the third time, the Pharisees bring him before him and he's like, you guys, you're, just, you're not listening. I told you what happened. There, there must be something. You must be really trying to figure out who this guy is too. And then he makes the statement that unless he was from God, there's no possible way he could do what he did. So he, his transformation goes from seeing Jesus as a man to this truth teller to now he's the son of God. In our own lives, we have to make that same progression if we want to have the boldness to stand up against persecution, to stand up against the religious leaders. Listen, they exist in our church today. The, the church as a whole, the church is here, but any church you've ever been a part of, the religious leaders exist in it. And if we want to have the boldness to stand, and we want to have the boldness to make sure that our message is sent and it's heard, we need to stand knowing and understanding who Christ really is. This power that he pours into our life. The simplicity of this miracle. The, I mean, it, it's amazing to think that it's just a little bit of spit and a little bit of dirt. And I think back at some of the other miracles that Jesus performs. He just tells the, the officer's son, hey, go, your son's going to live. He's cool, man. He's good. And he lives. And then there's the woman who has the issue of blood, and she just touches the hem of his garment, and she's healed. This is not ordinary power. This is not an ordinary man. This is not an ordinary relationship that we have. I love my wife. She's amazing. She's talented. She's caring. She's compassionate. But she can't heal the sick like Jesus can. 
You know how when I'm sick, she's like, here's some soup, here's a blanket, are you okay? And she's nurturing, and she's, she does everything that she can to make sure that I'm comfortable and restored, but she's not going like, to smack me in the forehead, and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I'm good to go. It's not going to happen. There's no other person on this earth that I have a relationship with other than God that's able to pour into my life with unending love and power. But we don't get past, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, I guess it means if I'm going to believe this, if I'm going to take hold of this, then I have to do something. Yes, that's exactly what it means. This man is filled with boldness. It doesn't say like how much time passes, but there's something there. There's something that's burned inside of him to say, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to be different, and I'm going to be bold, and I'm going to represent Christ, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to stand here, and look, this is what he says, I don't care if you're going to put me out, this is from God. I was blind, I can see, I don't know how it happened. But if this were a man that you say he is, it couldn't happen. He must be from God. And what's to say? They kicked him out. They put him out. I flipped the page, sorry. This is the cool part that I like about this. You see the power that God has. You see what Christ is able to do. And you see how he interacts with this man in the beginning of the chapter. But what I really love is here at the end. Let me pick up in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him. Jesus heard that they put him out and he went to find him. Do you hear that? There's, you know what that says? It says, I have compassion. I have concern. And you know what? You did something for me that was amazing and and, and you got this punishment for it. And I'm going to find you. No matter where we're at, when we're willing to take that stand and and do this and and be bold and stand up against whatever it is we need to stand up against, whether it's the sin that's in our life, whether it's the people in our family, whether it's our coworker, it doesn't matter. When we're doing it with the right reasons and the right motives for the right purpose, Jesus is always there. What that also says to us, if we're going to be like Jesus and be little Christs and Christians is uh, our follow-up maybe needs to pick up a little bit. We think of how many people have walked through this door in the last two years. That they're here, they're gone, they've made professions of faith, they've been baptized, but where are they? Who's following up? Who's going back to say, listen, what else can we do for you? What other needs do you have? Because this guy's needs aren't fully met until Jesus goes back. He says, Jesus heard. They put him out. They found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. To me, that is awesome in this story. Jesus could have just said, hey, you got your sight back. You, you, you've kind of figured out who I am. We're good here. Good luck on your journey. Enjoy seeing. It's beautiful. But he has to realize now, when, when it talks about this man being put out, he's essentially being outcasted from this society. 
He's no longer allowed in the temple. He's no longer allowed to uh, maybe be involved with his family, depending on how serious they're going to be about it. He's pretty much had an entire community now turn their back on him. And Jesus goes back because he needs to make sure that his needs are met. And it says that he believed and worshipped him. Worship is a natural response to an actual relationship. Worship is the natural response that we should have. If our relationship is true, if we've really had this encounter like this blind man has, he has a face-to-face with Christ, his life has changed, and immediately his, his desire and his goal is to worship. And Paul talks about this. I love the book of Romans. I love Romans 12. Our reasonable service of worship. And this isn't the first time that this pops up. Because back when Jesus is, is meeting the woman at the well, he talks to her. She comes to believe. He tells her all the stuff that she does. She runs back and tells all her friends. They come running out to meet this guy. And they were like, can you stay with us? Please stay with us. Teach us. We want more of you. And he spends some time with them. Not only that, one of the great stories that I love uh, reading through the Gospels is in the book of Mark where the, the guy's possessed and he's running around the graveyard and he doesn't have any clothes on and everybody's like afraid of him. And then Jesus casts the demons out. And when they come in, they see that here's this guy. He's now in his right mind. The demons have been cast out and he's sitting and he's having dinner with Jesus and he's spending time with him. And Jesus is like, okay, I have to go now. And the guy's like, well, no, I'm going with you. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, you need to stay here. You need to stay here, and you need to tell them what took place. You need to tell them, you have a mission now. You have a job. And the guy's like, but I really want to go with you. No, stay here. See, if it's real, there's that desire to continue to stay with Jesus. To continue in his word, to continue in prayer, to continue to let that pour into our life. The ten lepers are healed. They run off and one comes back and one says, this was amazing. I want to worship. I want to enjoy you. I want to have this relationship. And Jesus has some say, hey, go, listen, that's great. We're here. I've got other work to do. You have work to do. We have work to do. We need to take our relationship and let it be real and act on it. We need to take our relationship and let that build into our life and let it take root and become bold and have the willingness to stand up against some of these people that we see in this story. Paul, again, urges us. It's our reasonable service of worship. And there's the second group of people that we see in this story. And they show up again at the end. Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. I'm going to call them the religious leaders because, like I said, we have religious leaders everywhere. We, in the universal church, every church I've ever been in, there's, there, it's here. It happens. This group just doesn't get it. Are we blind too? Jesus says, yeah, yeah. 
since you think you have everything figured out, since you know better, since you've got this all squared away, you're the religious leaders. After all, you know what the Scriptures say. You've got it all figured out. Yeah, you don't see your need for me. You don't see your need for guidance. You don't see your need for compassion. And this is what they lack. Just in this story alone. And you could read through the Gospels and you can see everywhere these Pharisees pop up. Here's what they lack. They lack compassion. The paralytic that gets healed. You heal them on the Sabbath? How dare you? <laughs> He's healed. So we don't care about that. The same thing here. They have a harsh the reaction towards it. Okay, fine. You don't want to play by our rules? You can leave. In fact, not only can you leave, you're done. We have nothing else to do with you. They're bully tactics. That's what they use. They bring the parents in. Hey, you know what? We can get this guy to shut up. We'll get his parents. And we'll tell them, hey, what's going on? The parents understood it. They were actually the ones that were afraid because they said, we really don't want to have a part of this. If you want your answers, ask him. We don't see that in our churches today. Do we? They're ignorant of who they are. They're ignorant of, of what they are. When he goes through this with them in the previous chapter, it talks about being slaves and understanding where they came from and what freedom that Jesus brings. And they're like, we've never been slaves. Like, that's, that you've always been slaves. You've been slaves to everybody. They just, they don't care. They're just, we got this all figured out. They're ignorant of their need. They use manipulation. These are the religious leaders that Jesus is dealing with. This is the time where Jesus speaks with these, these, these more, I don't want to say angry tones, but this is where he really steps up and he says, look, you are missing the point because you guys are the ones who are responsible for the well-being of these people. We can be these religious leaders. We can lack compassion. When we don't get our way, what do we do? When we get our feelings hurt, what do we do? What's the first reaction that comes into mind? Do I want to get them back? Can I pray for them? Probably not. I have a hard time with that too. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm telling you, she is amazing. And there's been times where we've been talking, and I'm like, I just can't believe. And she's like, okay, Pastor Tim. And I'm like, ooh. Mm. I love when you say that. But she's right. Because at that time, guess what? I'm a Pharisee. I'm that person. I'm that one standing there kicking the blind man out. I'm picking up rocks to throw at Jesus because I'm not willing to let him be Lord over me. There's a difference. The religious people, they were the ones, they knew everything, they had everything figured out. But it's clear, both in their actions and what they say, far from it. Far, far from it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you indeed, unless indeed you fail the test. I'm getting ready to close. I don't really have much else. I think this is an amazing story. This is an amazing verse. To me, it kind of ties it all together. Test yourself. Are you a Pharisee? Or are you going to be like the blind man? 
Are you like the disciples who kind of have like no real big involvement in this? They're just kind of standing off to the side watching it all take place. Is, that's it. From, just from the beginning on, the disciples, they ask the one question and they're like silent for the rest of it. They don't really get involved. They don't try to intervene. They don't try to get involved with the blind man. They don't stand up to the Pharisees. They just say, Jesus is going to do his thing. We're going to stand back here. I'm going to watch from the sideline. Is that us? Are we the blind man? Are we willing to be bold and to stand up? Not just in the face of the world and society, because we talk about that all the time. Right? Oh, the world's full of sin, and they're just trying to push their own agenda. We've got to fight back. And Yeah, well, obviously, but what about when it comes time to like cleaning up in our own house? Are we willing to stand? Are we willing to rally behind each other? Or are we like the Pharisees? Are we going to use tactics that are kind of dirty and unchristlike? Because it's more important for us to look good than it is to be good. Because that's all it is to the Pharisees. What's it look like? What's it smell like? It smells good and looks good. It must be good. Not always. How's our blindness? How's our worship? Where do we fall this morning? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what we see in your word, the compassion that you have on other people, not just compassion to heal, but compassion to restore and to save and to love. Lord, to uh, have a relationship with. Lord, thank you for having that relationship with us. I pray this morning that we would be willing to rally around you and each other as we, we strive to go forward. Lord, that if we have blindness that's preventing us from seeing who we really are, what we really are, Lord, that you would help remove that. Lord, that you would help us to be bold, help us to stand up not just to the world, but, Lord, stand up to the, to the Pharisees in our lives, our sin. Lord, help us to, to be difference makers. Help us to have compassion. Help us to have a desire to love and to serve. We commit this time in your name. Amen. Thank you. We are dismissed.